National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We are broadcasting from Gadigal land. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge all First Nations peoples listening to this podcast. I'd also like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. My name is Penelope Benton. I'm the General Manager of the National Association for the Visual Arts. Our usual host of Nava in Conversation, Esther Anatolidis, our Executive Director, is currently travelling Canada and the US, meeting with our counterpart organisations, artists and advocates to investigate world's best practice models for Australian artists. Woo! Go Esther! Yeah. I'm here with Jeff Khan. Hi Penelope! Hello! Hi! Jeff is a curator and writer working across performance, dance and the visual arts. He is the co-curator of Performance Contemporary, which is opening as part of Sydney Contemporary the 13th to the 16th of September. He's also the Artistic Director and CEO of Performance Space Sydney, who are launching their annual Live Works Festival of Experimental Art from the 18th to the 28th of October. Very soon. Frighteningly soon. Yay! All of it. so, Jeff, you've just been in Taipei. Yeah. I've Tell just, me about Adam. Literally, I, I returned yesterday. Um, I was in Taipei because Performance Space has become an international partner in this new initiative out of Taiwan called Adam. Uh, Adam stands for Asia Discovers Asia Meeting. Uh, and it was initiated last year by the Taipei uh, Performing Arts Centre, which is a brand new institution in Taiwan. Um, kind of in response to the fact that the landscape in Asia is changing extremely extremely rapidly at the moment. There's a whole lot of new institutions all across the Asia Pacific that are currently sort of being built or in the process of opening or radically transforming themselves. And what we're seeing is this proliferation of um, networks, new networks, um, whether they're um, arts markets or curatorial networks in the region. Uh, and what TPAC is trying to do is start an, a network that's artist-focused in the midst of all of this institutional collaboration and exchange to make sure there is a sort of network or a platform that is centred on artists and letting artists lead that conversation. Great. Yeah, so it's pretty it's pretty exciting. It's pretty ambitious. Um, it sort of takes a couple of different forms. Um, mainly, Adam is an artist lab that gathers 16 artists from all over the Asia-Pacific, including Australia. Um, and they do a very intensive kind of two-week exchange program that's um, facilitated by um, senior artists or curators. Um, and at the end of that two-week artist lab, uh, there's a four-day exchange platform where this year over 200 delegates from institutions around wow. the region came to meet the artists, share information, um, engage in critical dialogue and view works in progress. So it, um, it's pretty ambitious in, in the scale of it. Uh, last year I went and, you know, there were a few teething problems with it, 
but um, they were very generous in sort of inviting and accepting feedback. So this year, um, Adam involved four international partners to help them sort of shape the lab and I guess connect with different parts of the Asia Pacific region. So um, that was Performance Space, um, West Kowloon Cultural District in Hong Kong, the Esplanade in Singapore and Creative New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, so we were sort of much more involved in the shaping of Adam this year. Um, we sent Justin Shoulder, an Australian artist, to participate in the lab, and I went over to facilitate one of the discussions in the platform. Yeah, great. I, I read that you hosted a roundtable on feminist and queer conversations in contemporary Asia-Pacific performance. Yes. Yeah? Tell us what were the key findings out of that roundtable. It's pretty interesting because, um, you know, that is obviously a, a kind of area of practice that's dear to our heart at performance space. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, ideas of feminism and queer culture vary so much, even in terms of whether or not there's an uptake on, on those terms, whether they're, you know, Western or Eastern-centric. So that, for me, was just a bit of an opportunity to gather some artists around the table from across the region to sort of just test how people thought about queer and feminist ideas um, in relation to their artistic practice. So we had um, Justin Shoulder on that panel, uh, Daniel Koch, who's a choreographer from Singapore, uh, and Kim Chen and Betsy Lan, who are two performance artists from Taiwan. Um, it was pretty interesting to find that people did really... Um, feel like queer ideas, there were urgent queer conversations to be had in all of those different contexts. And also a sort of um, bit of a universal acknowledgement of the importance of feminism as a sort of, you know, area of discourse that really has made queer possible. Um, I think, you know, we're at a really interesting moment in Taiwan where they have moved ahead of Australia to, to legalise gay marriage. Um, but, you know, equally, Taiwan is an extremely patriarchal kind of society. Mm. Um, so what we found was that, you know, those terms were absolutely relevant and people were sort of considered themselves to have feminist and queer practices. But sort of what the issues are when you drill down into those practices really vary from country to country. Yeah, for, um, sure. for example, you know, Singapore has, you know, so many legal restrictions on on queer and gay and lesbian um, cultures at the moment. Mm. So there's a sort of basic fight for civil rights that underpins some of those practices. Whereas I guess here in Australia, in Sydney particularly, we have such a rich history of queer practice that you know it's a much more nuanced debate and you see all sorts of, you know, from every letter in the LGBTIQA plus spectrum sort of addressed at, at multiple levels. Mm. Amazing. Was it just a roundtable to just discuss the, the various, I guess, issues and um, topics of the things that yeah. people are identifying, or did you did you make some, I guess, action points and recommendations? It was much more discussion-based, um, and I think because Adam's in its second year and sort of such a gathering of, of artists and practitioners from across the region in a way is so unprecedented. Mm. I think really the focus at the moment is um, getting a little bit of consensus and sort of learning about each other's contexts, you know, to lay the foundations of future collaborations and future um, 
directions, both kind of curatorially and artistically. So um, it was very discussion-based for now. I think, you know, the artists, we were all very inspired by each other. And I think there's a lot of conversations that are going to be taken and sort of continued in, in the intervening year. So it was less about setting a direction than about listening, I guess, um, given that the region is so diverse and so culturally diverse from country to country. Um, it's really more about sort of um, having a sort of deep understanding of each other's contexts in order, order to inform those future con conversations. Wow, that's so important. Mm. Wow, watch this space. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And definitely, you know, um, Australia is well and truly on the map of, mm. of Adam now. And as well as performance spaces, participation, they really have their eyes on Australia. So I'd encourage artists or, or curators, anybody who's interested to have a look. They do open calls every year now. They usually go out about sort of March, April every year. So it's something that um, is very open and very generous for people to participate in if they can find their way there. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, so let's talk now about Performance Contemporary. You and mm. Performance Space Program Manager Tallulah Pierce have co-curated this year's Performance Contemporary, which happens amongst the art fair. What's been your approach to presenting live work among the powwow of dealers and collectors? Yeah, Sydney Contemporary is quite the intense environment. Um, Talia and I have co-curated a few performance programs um, in visual arts institutions over the last few years, um, most recently at the MCA. And so we're always curious about the kind of environment that we're working in. And obviously, um, Sydney Contemporary is just so packed full of people most of the time uh, and is such a particular environment about experiencing art in a certain kind of way. Really, that sort of environment was the first thing that informed um, our curatorial approach, not only in terms of um, what kind of work would actually make an impact mm. in this incredibly kind of frenetic environment, but who are the artists who would potentially feed off that energy, yep. that very social, very fast, um, very... Um, you know, I think really curious and open, um, the Sydney contemporary crowd, but also um, sort of maybe attention poor. Mm. <laughs> so we were thinking about um, works that not only capitalised on that atmosphere in terms of spectacle, but maybe some other works that slipped under the radar quietly and almost took advantage of that sort of storm of activity to enact a, a quieter kind of intervention. Mm, that sounds beautiful. I, I really got a sense of that from reading who, what you've selected and who you've selected. It's sort of, mm. it's got a vibe of ephemeral on ephemeral. There's, mm. there's science, there's vanishing art, there's, you know, body tremors, sonic percussion, there's a bit of cleaning and cleansing. Yes. Um, talk me, talk us through some of the works that will be happening. Sure. So I guess um, at the more spectacular end and talking to that spectacle um, that is Sydney Contemporary, um, we've commissioned Emily Parsons Lord to create a sort of new performance. She's been experimenting a lot with pyrotechnics and flammable materials to create these extremely sort of ephemeral diagrams of the universe and of natural systems. So they're very spectacular work, but like a lot of Emily's work, they speak to this kind of 
melancholy of our relationship to the environment and mm. this kind of fleeting, almost disappearing um, character of nature as we know it. So they're works that do work in that sort of very visually spectacular kind of gobsmacking way, but they also um, are quite powerfully melancholic, I think, as well. So yeah. that that's a beautiful kind of large-scale work that, that will happen on the opening night of Sydney Contemporary. Wow. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, um, Julianne Long has a, a performance called Val the Invisible, which we actually curated into our, sonic, uh, into our local positioning systems at the MCA a few years ago. Um, Val is essentially a kind of cleaning lady persona who um, uh, ironically is quite invisible while wearing high-vis, uh, and she just slips through the space kind of as a cleaner, but also performing a kind of micro choreography, which is a sort of a daydream or reverie kind of state that she's in. Uh, and Julianne has this ongoing project called the Invisibility Project, which essentially is about the invisibility of middle-aged women in mm. kind of contemporary cultural life. Wow. Um, so, you know, there's all these layers of this work um, where you may or may not notice this performer, and that's that's the point, essentially. Yep. yep. Wow, that's super important. It'd be interesting, um, I guess, in dialogue with the Countess mm. um, panel discussion that they're hosting at the VIP opening night uh, about, I guess, the lack of representation of women at the art fair. Yeah. Um, I, I think even more mid, mid-career, mid mid-age women. Yes. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting that in a way, you know, yes, uh, Sydney Contemporary is a sort of big spectacle and it's it's a commercial event by its nature, but that it's inviting those conversations, I think, is really, is really fantastic and sort of actually not shying away from those issues, but embracing them. And I certainly think, you know, with some of the, the performances that we've presented, they've been very open to them as well, mm. even if they're sort of, uh, they're critical um, works. Mm. It's really important. I mean, I, I, I have just spoken to Miranda recently, uh, last year, as part of a panel discussion that I facilitated. She did a, a gender count of who was showing at the art fair, mm. and um, the, the numbers were quite bad. We just published them on wow. our website. But she's done a gender count again this year, and it's actually worse. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, there's less women showing in this year than there were last year. And which, last year was already pretty bad. Which it just goes to show the importance <clears throat> of those projects and, and especially Countess in providing year-on-year -year assessment and, you know, not just assuming that an upward trend one year means that it's going to continue in that way that, unfortunately you know, that struggle is very real and ongoing. Mm. And I think, you know, one thing Talia and I are really proud of in the Sydney Contemporary Program is um, it's it's five female artists and one male artist. And um, it's these incredible women who are making incredibly sort of strong, powerful, kind of impactful work, um, which I think really comes naturally to us at Performance Space in a way. It's kind of the way that we always curate. But, um, you know, in an environment like that where the numbers and the representation so low, it becomes even more important. Absolutely. Um, because we are talking about an art fair, are any of the works, the live works, for sale? Or what are your thoughts on collecting and conserving performance art? Yeah, it's a very live problem at the moment and, um, and much talked about. I think um, 
people are finding ways now. And I would point to sort of Lauren Brinkat, who's also one of our artists participating in Sydney Contemporary as somebody who has a performance practice, um, is commercially represented by Anna Schwartz, also has a sort of video and sculptural practice and has been really actively thinking through that problem. I think um, the idea of additioned performances is a really interesting um, phenomenon. And I know also that with one of our programs at the MCA, um, we commissioned a project by Supercritical Mass, um, which the MCA then acquired. Mm. Um, and I think it was the first ever performance acquisition by the MCA. Um, they acquired essentially a very detailed set of instructions to mount that work under certain conditions okay. and then collected a whole series of ephemera um, that was produced by the work. And I think that went hand in hand with an agreement that while the artists were capable of leading the restaging of that work, it would go to them mm. first. So, um, you know, I think that's a bit of a landmark and I think our institutions have been um, a little bit slow off the mark compared to sort of where things are at internationally um, with collecting performance. But we are starting to see some of these examples um, now, which I think is quite encouraging. Mm. Um, I think it's probably a more challenging prospect still for private collectors but I do know, you know, that some have started, you know, collecting one-off or additioned performances or even sort of commissioning performances for private events is another really interesting mm. sort of um, uh, sort of new trend to emerge that I definitely encourage. I know that um, Amanda Love, um, who uh, curates the collection for the QT hotel chain, um, ran a performance program at the opening of the QT in Melbourne a couple of years ago. So um, kudos to these brave individuals who are breaking that ground. And I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky proposition when you think about traditional ways of, of collecting um, more sort of materials and object-based artwork. But, you know, at the same time, we are seeing examples of performance artist work being commissioned and acquired for collections. So um, I think, you know, it's an exciting time and, and I'd encourage more people to think about it, of course. Absolutely. Um, amazing. Let's talk live works. Mm. So big. Live works. And current. so different. Oh, occupying all of our minds 24 hours a day right now. So big, so big. <laughs> and it's such, yeah, it's such a different vibe to what you've put together for Performance Contemporary. Mm. It's a real um, mix of local and international artists, mm. um, sort of the vibes that queer, confronting, destabilising, experimental. There's a bit of party vibes yes. in there. Um, and then a bit of pain yeah. and comfort. Yeah. Talk us through some of the works. Well, I think, um, you know, every year LiveWorks gets a little bit more complex and we, we sort of can push the boundaries a little bit further with it. And I definitely think this, um, this year there's more experimentation and more work that happens sort of at the edges of, of what we know as practice. Mm. So, yeah, there's the biggest series of um, international works we've ever um, presented. And this year we've commissioned work internationally for the first time with Great. a few of our international colleagues. That's a really exciting development for us. Mm. Um, and um, at the same time, you know, there are some darker, more intimate sort of, yeah, more confronting works that we have sort of curated in that really, I think, 
speak to the t- current times that we live in and the anxieties that, that we have. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, let, let's talk about some of the work in detail. I'm, I'm intrigued to hear a little bit about John A. Douglas's Circle mm. of Fire. John is an amazing local hero in Sydney. Yes. Um, uh, he has lived with chronic illness for over 20 years um, and particularly kidney failure. And the last um, work that we presented at Performance Space, um, curated by Beck Dean, um, he actually performed while attached to his dialysis machine for the full cycle of his dialysis. Um, in the interview, which is like ten hours. Ten hours, yeah. 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 So not only sort of is it an epic feat of life, it's an epic feat of art and mm. performance mm. and and endurance, which I think was was part of the point for that work. Um, in the intervening years, John's had a kidney transplant and had this sort of uncanny and miraculous experience of of resurrection mm. in a way. Mm. So this new work, Circles of Fire, um, kind of works of that experience of the kidney transplant, of coming back to life, um, but also the new cycle of incredibly sort of invasive medical surveillance and treatment that comes alongside a a procedure like that. So this kind of cycle of wellness and treatment and medical surveillance becomes the score for Mm. this new performance work, um, which sort of unfolds in four parts. There's a video installation, um, you can actually step inside the video installation via virtual reality. Mm. Um, then every night there's a two-hour performance um, that John undertakes while he's cannulated to a drip um, by a registered nurse, Della Topaz, who's also a performance artist. Um, she um, sees to John and then begins to take the audience's medical obs. Uh, wow. And then it culminates in a, in a quite spectacular kind of movement performance um, by John choreographed by Sue Healy um, that really kind of goes much deeper into um, his embodied experience of that transplant and and the recovery. So it's very very much a step inside um, not only his experience but his body Mm. uh, and experiencing those extremes um, and just done in such a um, beautifully... um, generous and kind of spectacular way I really feel like this is going to be one of the highlight works of the festival I think so too I I was reading somewhere recently that kidney failure is is extremely high Mm. and increasingly so I think that this work will will speak to to lots of people it's really Mm. important um there's also a couple of parties tell us about Hannah Bronte's Switch, and I also noticed that you've moved Day for Night into be part of Lifeworks. Yeah, so Day for Night, um, this is now the uh, fifth edition of Day for Night, and so we moved it into Lifeworks so that it could really sort of capitalise on the momentum and the resources that the festival kind of generates, and also that um, not only brings a big sort of party moment to the closing weekend of the festival, but brings that queer community right to the centre of mm. live works as well in terms of visibility and and sort of welcoming. Um, and so Day for Night this year is a 12-hour experience that literally moves from a series of kind of performance artworks during the day into a large-scale dance party at night. Uh, inviting contemporary artists to intervene into into both of those environments. 
Um, so this year, Day for Night will be opened by William Yang, who mm. is, you know, an absolute living treasure of the Australian art world. He is. Um, we've commissioned William to um, pull out a whole lot of never-before-seen images from his archive that wow. document the development of Sydney's underground queer party culture mm-hmm. through the 80s and 90s. Um, really looking at sort of who the trailblazing party starters were, who the artists were, um, what they did at that time that was sort of so groundbreaking. Uh, And the beautiful thing about that is that you look at those images and you see the quit scene now. You see, you know, you see the Justin Shoulders and and you see the um, Benji Ra's and the Coco Carries and you realise that sort of what's happening now has been made possible by this amazing Mm. successive generations. Legacy. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So Day for Night has really this theme of, of... the intergenerational richness of queer culture and the kind of groundbreaking work um, that has made all of that possible. So William does the opening performance and the closing performance will be by Glitter Supernova, Mm. um, who's another sort of pioneering senior queer artist who's done so much important work. And in between, you have a lot of, like, you know, trailblazing new troublemakers like Coco Carey and Shaman Suku um, to, you know, mid-career artists like Brie Van Rijk. So it's a real tribute to that intergenerational richness Mm. of the queer community. And Hannah Bronte, because we, you know, we know through Day for Night that um, we love an art party and our audiences love an art party. Yeah, we do. Um, We sure do. And also, you know, for us, it's such an interesting um, platform for contemporary art. It's such a different way to experience work. And I think for artists, as you would know, being one of the, like, founding Day for Night artists, um, it's such an interesting context to make work for. Yeah. Um, and so Hannah has been running these Fempress parties for a number of years now, um, and they are a series of queer hip-hop parties that foreground um, uh, Indigenous and Black women as the primary sort of creators, makers, audience. Uh, Hannah is an amazing artist herself, and we thought um, for live works we would commission her to really up the scale and the ante of the Fempress parties. So, so this fe- wish which um, specifically looks at Indigenous and First Nations um, practices of empowerment and trance and brings those into a party context. So the DJs and the musicians are making work along those themes, uh, and then there's a series of performance and video artworks by um, First Nations artists from new video work by Hannah herself um, to Amrita Happy and all of these amazing strong black women who mm. are, you know, leading in a way the future of, of the contemporary art scene. So, um, you know, I think it's like a vision into our black matriarchal future, which I feel like is more necessary than ever. It sure is. Wow. Wow. Um, there are so many works we, we're not going to have time to talk about. <laughs> I also, um, I guess, I guess let's wrap up. And um, but I'm, in, I was also interested that to see that you are hosting um, a series of conversations and workshops, and particularly real time in real time. Mm. Tell us about that. Real time has been the most amazing. Uh, documenter of Australia's experimental art scene. And I think everybody was really shocked and um, saddened when they announced that they'd published their last edition last year. Sure. Um, Nobody stepped into the breach to Mm. replace them yet, but they are doing a series of sort of wrap-up 
um, activities. And when they came to us with this idea of a, a sort of five-hour-long discussion and performance event that looked back on on their archive and and traced the history of you know, experimental practice through the history of real time. It was just a bit of a no-brainer. We said, of course, we want to do this. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's five hours long. Each hour, there's a different sort of topic about sort of contemporary practice that they address from, um, you know, the perspective of the writers who've contributed to the magazine, from the perspective of the artists. Um, there's a section on the relationship between performance space and real time because our histories have been very intertwined and the final session will look to the future and it's both a discussion um, event but there'll be performance incursions into that event by the artists that they've documented over the 25 years it's going to be really really special it sounds so special is there any way that people outside of sydney can um, view this or experience that at least that conversation in any way? Yeah, we're looking at um, options to live stream it Good. at the time on the day. It's definitely going to be documented um, absolutely rigorously through video and sound. So I'll be very surprised if Keith and Virginia don't produce some kind of mm. um, audiovisual document. But I do think there'll be an opportunity to live stream and we'll keep, um, keep that updated on our website um, exactly how to engage with that. Excellent. Mm. And you were also mentioning before, which I think we'll put on our website together with this podcast, some links for people wanting to find out more about LiveWorks and how to get tickets. Yes. So um, we really know that our sort of most precious audience at Performance Space is artists. Um, and uh, we really want to make the festival as accessible to artists as we can. So we have an artist discount code, which um, gives you access to the cheapest tickets in the festival um, just on our website under the ticketing section there's a page uh, artist discount code um, essentially if you send us your artist cv we'll send you the code um, and you can have um, access to the all these cheap tickets uh, and for industry as well to get in touch with us there's an industry discount code for our for our colleagues and peers amazing wonderful um, thanks so much for making time to talk to us today amongst this all this hectic busy, awesome, important programming. Oh, thank you for having me. We do it because we love it, and so talking about it is always a pleasure. So good. Well, good luck with it all, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Penelope. Head to our website, visualarts.net.au, for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.